Welcome to part two of Demi Lovato and addiction medicine. Here's what you missed in part one. You know, this question of, is it a choice? Is it a disease? Because that's a question that that resonates with me because it's one that I've wrestled with as family, friends, neighbors of those who suffer from from substance use disorders. Uh, I think we should just be pulling them closer at times of need. How do you kind of help them see they are are having this issue? Most importantly, and and I don't mean to, to be dramatic here, but these situations, as I think Demi's story shows us, are often life or death um, or, or very close to that. This is Pop Culture Rx. You know, do you think that this year's pandemic definitely mm. heightened the amount mm. of people who who you found were, you know, either addicted to a substance or turning to mm. alcohol as a vice or, or yeah. any of the above? Um, yeah, I, absolutely. I, you know, the when I hear that, what I think of is that um, ultimately these are diseases of despair. Um, I certainly can't take... Uh, uh, can't take credit for that phrase. It was a <laughs> husband-wife pair of economists, uh, Nobel laureates, no less, uh, who work not all too far from here, over in uh, in Princeton, New Jersey, um, who uh, coined the term uh, diseases of despair. Um, and what they were referring to was uh, something that uh, in all their uh, fancy uh, econometrics they found was that um, among certain communities in the U.S., uh, deaths are rising and they're Mm -hmm. rising because of overdoses they're rising because of alcohol use and its complications um, and they're rising because of suicides and the one thing that all of these have in common um, is that they are things that uh, ultimately take root when someone is in the depths of despair and um, i think there's been no shortage of of things contributing to this economic dislocation, social isolation, um, all of these were things that have been going on for a number of years, if not decades, uh, in parts of this country mm-hmm. um, and in parts of the state uh, and in many of the parts of the state that that we here at Hackensack Meridian Health serve. Um, but um, in the midst of a pandemic, they've all gotten worse, right? The, mm-hmm. the number of folks who have lost their jobs and experienced economic dislocation uh, has spiked. The number of people who feel social isolation while in quarantine has spiked. Yeah. Uh, the number of folks who find it harder to connect with services as if it wasn't uh, hard enough already now during a pandemic with so many addiction treatment and recovery centers having to close their doors. And I'm proud to say that uh, Jersey Shore University Medical Center that uh, that Hackensack Meridian Health is one of the few that hasn't closed its doors. In fact, uh, we've only expanded uh, our footprints and our locations and our access to services. But um, uh, these are the kind of things that are absolutely driving uh, substance use um, uh, through the, uh, just to put it bluntly, Kylie, through the roof during this pandemic. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it just, it feels like everywhere you turn, you kind of hear of someone who was either you know, affected by COVID in some way through the disease or, you know, affected by COVID because they were so isolated and now Mm. they're depressed or have anxiety to even go back out and, you know, experience life again now that things are starting to open up. So I'm sure your department is booming. No, no, it, uh, yeah, no, no, we're, we're keeping busy, but uh, there's just so, so much more work to do. I am, and I think you're right, right? You just use this phrase uh, that like, there's, uh, everywhere's closed down. There's nowhere to go, right? I can't tell you the number of patients I've had who've just been like, Doc, uh, you know, I, 
like I used to go to the gym and exercise. That's mm-hmm. how I uh, kept busy. But now the gym's closed. So what do I do, right? They're speaking mm-hmm. to this um, intuitive but really profound insight that like folks are folks are just bored, right? <laughs> At home. And if your vice is uh, substance use and uh, like Demi, you've been able to keep it at bay for six years, but now it's about to, again, to use her phrase, it's about to overflow because there's nothing else to do. You're bored. You turn on the news and there's just more and more things that contribute to, to uh, not just the personal, but the global stress in, in your yeah. life um, that uh, it's it's in some ways a perfect storm to return to use. Um, and there are so many of our friends, our families, our neighbors um, who unfortunately are caught in the throes of exactly that. And, and my heart goes out through them to them. Yeah. And so I wanted to go back to Demi's story. So Demi's father also mm-hmm. struggled with substance and mental mm-hmm. health. Um, is all of this genetic? Yeah, so I I think there's definitely a genetic role. I think this can very much run in families. Um, and so for those whom it does, um, it's not to say that, uh, um, that this is your destiny. It very, very much isn't. Um, but it does mean that... Uh, um, you may be predisposed in the same way that uh, folks in my family might be predisposed to diabetes and heart disease. Mm-hmm. Um, yours may be predisposed to substance use. And and that's okay because uh, just like diabetes and heart disease, substance use is a disease. But uh, just like with diabetes and heart disease, it uh, it's important to then understand that you might be at higher risk and do your best to uh, uh, to care for yourself and to buffer yourself um, from the times that might uh, allow you to to fall into a downward spiral. Right? I, I've got to uh, structure my life in a way that uh, hopefully minimizes my risk of developing diabetes and heart disease. Um, those for whom substance use runs in their family, um, they've got to take steps to uh, to minimize their risk of, of developing a substance use disorder. Um, and, and, you know, this is a, a bit tangential, Kylie, but I think it's really important. I think even for those of whom it runs in families, for those of whom uh, who may have, uh, and I've made more than my fair share of these, made a, a bad decision and um, now found themselves uh, not just using, but having crossed over to the point where they're um, their bodies are are dependent, mm-hmm. um, and uh, and they've got candidly no choice but to use because your biology, your your neurobiology, has been rewired in a way that requires you to use just to just to carry out day to day activities. Um, yeah. You know, if you find yourself um, in that situation, know that particularly if what you're wrestling from is uh, is alcohol use disorder or opioid use disorder, um, that these are things for which medications exist and they work extraordinarily well. Um, forgive me, Kylie, I've just got to um, evangelize Go a little bit about this because um, I find too few people uh, understand just how effective these medications are. So yeah. let me just pick one of them, right? There's something called uh, buprenorphine uh, okay. for uh, those who are struggling with opioid addiction. The way it works is it stabilizes your brain chemistry in much the same way that insulin stabilizes your body's chemistry uh, to help treat the underlying disease. What it does is it keeps um, withdrawal symptoms and cravings at bay so that folks don't end up feeling the way that woman who I treated in the emergency room uh, all those years ago as, a, as an intern uh, felt. Um, and uh, 
Um, and the evidence is extraordinary. Um, buprenorphine cuts the risk of opioid overdose death in half and wow. doubles the chance of recovery, right? What that means is for every two people with opioid addiction that I start on this medication, I save one life. Um, that is as close to a miracle of modern medicine yeah. as it gets, right? So I um, am not just an addiction medicine doctor, but an emergency room doctor. The next best medicine that I know of as an emergency room doctor is taking aspirin for a heart attack. Um, the and at the risk of giving away how much of a nerd I am if I haven't already, right? <laughs> the the number needed to treat, the number of massive heart attacks that I need to treat with a full dose of aspirin to save one additional life is four. Wow. Meaning that uh you know, treating uh, opioid addiction with buprenorphine is literally twice as effective as treating massive heart attacks with the next best medicine I know of, and that is uh, a full dose of aspirin, right? Um, I have to treat four heart attacks to save one life with aspirin. I have to treat two people with opioid addiction in order to save one life. Um, so this is extraordinarily effective. Um, the only problem is that it is uh, far, far too hard to get. Um, and so I'm proud of the way in which uh, uh, our our team at Jersey Shore University Medical Center, our team across Hackensack Meridian Health, um, and so many others um, across the state and across the country um, mm -hmm. are working hard to make this medication more accessible. But, you know, to one of your earlier questions, if you are a loved one, if you are a friend, a family member, a neighbor of someone who's wrestling with opioid addiction and um, certainly I, I know folks who are. Um, I think the vast majority of us, if we looked hard enough, would realize that we know folks who are. Mm -hmm. um, know that not only is this a disease, but this is a disease for which we have medications and medications that work extraordinarily well. Um, so, you know, when our loved one is ready, um, uh, it only makes sense for us to move heaven and earth to get them connected to uh, this medicine. And it, it's not perfect um, and it it won't work for everyone, but the, the data is clear. It will work for many. Um, and so know that uh, um, know that when your loved one's ready, uh, there are very real tangible resources to turn to. Yeah. And talk a little bit about Project Heal. Does it have anything yeah. to do with, with this getting yeah. this medication out more? In, in some ways. So, um, you know, Project Heal is uh, a little bit tangential, but part of what we're doing there is, um, let me tell you a little bit of the, the backstory. So part of what we do is provide addiction uh, treatment to those who need it, but part of what we're doing is uh, working on another really pressing public health issue, um, and that is community violence and, and gun violence, right? So one of the... Um, one of the things that's so striking when we look at things like gun violence and community violence is that they often are cyclical in nature. Um, again, at the risk of giving away how much of a nerd I am and, and uh, how much I love data, when you look at um, individuals who come into hospitals um, having been, say, shot or stabbed in a gang-related incident, um, one of the things you realize is that up to 40% of them 
uh, come back with another violent injury within five years. Up to 20% wow. of them are dead of another violent injury within uh, five years. And so, you know, to the credit of emergency room doctors and trauma surgeons across the country, I think when folks saw those numbers, they said, we've got to do better, right? Mm -hmm. We can't simply, and, and Kylie, at the risk of putting it uh, a bit crudely, right? We can't simply stitch folks up and then send them right back out into an environment that cuts them open again. We've got to do better. And so what better has now become are programs like Project Heal, where when an individual who's been shot or stabbed or otherwise victimized comes into our emergency room, certainly we provide all the medical care that they need, um, but then they also call a member of our staff at Project Heal, um, a peer, someone with lived experience of violent injury, um, someone who knows what it's like to have been shot or stabbed um, and recovered, um, and who's been trained in bedside intervention to go into the emergency room, um, connect with that individual, and, and take advantage of that teachable moment and build a rapport, um, and then work with the rest of our team at Project Heal uh, to provide wraparound services long after the point of discharge. So if if what that individual needs is uh, job training and placement, we could provide that to them. If what they need is stable housing, we could provide that to them. If what they need is, and this is by far the biggest need, uh, mental health and substance use uh, disorder treatment, right? Addiction yeah, and recovery services. Um, if that's what they need, then certainly as a as a department, as a hospital, as a healthcare network, we can sure as hell do that for them. Um, and what we find is that it makes a world of difference. Um, and and so, you know, I would argue that this is what it means to take a public health approach to uh, to community violence, to gun violence, to gang violence. And the evidence is clear. It works and it works extraordinarily well. Um, and so, yes, uh, providing substance use disorder treatment is part of that. But it is uh, so, so much uh, more, as you'd imagine, for those who have uh, um, found themselves in the circumstances that so many of those we we serve do. Amazing, amazing, and it—it's really. I, I've never heard of a of a project like that before, and someone that that can help you not only with your actual, you know, stab mm. wound, gunshot wound, whatever it may be, mm. but also after the fact, which is so much more mm. important. Yeah, no, you're you're exactly right. You know, the the story that comes to mind for me is. Um, uh, you know, I was speaking to someone who many years ago um, had been uh, had been shot, and you know, he had so so much, um, uh, uh, so so many profound insights. But one of the ones that stayed with me was he said, "You know, Doc Akash, um, I was at a party as a college senior. Um, I was just getting ready to leave, um, and." Um, and then the wrong folks showed up um, and fired shots into the house. I got struck in the abdomen um, and, uh, and was rushed to the hospital. Um, my mom drove several states over to come see me, but doc, she was only at my bedside for like two or three hours. And then she said, look, 
I've got to get back home because I've got to be at work at eight in the morning. Um, and at the time, you know, I was 20 or 21 and I said, that's yeah. fine. Um, you know, I can, I can handle this. I'll be back at school finishing my last semester um, and uh, walking at graduation in no time. This is just a, a little setback or hiccup. Uh, mm -hmm. I'll be out of here in a few days. Um, and it turns out that uh, it was, it was, not simply, uh, as I'm sure many uh, many of you will intuit, uh, a simple hiccup. Um, it it ended up being the reason why he couldn't finish uh, college. It ended up being the reason why he never got the degree uh, that he wanted. It ended up being the reason why he never got into the field education that he wanted. Um, and um, and he still goes back to that night and says, you know, Doc, I. I'm just so glad that a program like Project Heal exists because um, I don't ever want someone to go through what I went through and only have someone be at their bedside for a couple hours and, and through no fault of their own, right? My yeah. mom moved heaven and earth to be there for me. But what I needed in that moment was so, so much more. What I needed in that moment was the kind of support that Project Heal provides, not just at the bedside for hours or mm -hmm. days or weeks, uh, but for months. Because had this been around then, um, I sure as hell would have gotten my degree. I sure as hell would have gotten into the educational field. Yeah. And I sure as hell would have made a difference. And he is extraordinarily modest because he makes an incredible difference in his community day in and day out. Um, but but he's clear about the fact that he could have made an even larger difference um, had a program like this been there for him then. Um, and so uh, I just couldn't be more proud of uh, of really our team for, for doing the work day in and day out. Before we, we end today, I just wanted to ask you, what should we do if a loved mm. one is suffering with addiction or with mental health issues or or with even, you know, some mm. type of they they had a gunshot wound and now they're mm. they're suffering later on. Yeah. Where should they go? What can they do? Yeah. So I think first and foremost, um, Take a deep breath and know that um, you are not alone um, and that uh, what your loved one is wrestling with um, and the, the kind of disruption it is causing not just in there but in your uh, um, life is, um, is not personal. Uh, they are um, an incredibly uh, good person, but they are in... Uh, the active throes of an addiction, they are wrestling with a disease that simply isn't allowing them to be the good person that um, uh, uh, they and you know they, they can and will again be. Um, and so uh, recognize that. Um, make sure you take care of yourself uh, because you've got to be able to take care of yourself in order to be there for those you love. And then once you've done those things, um, reach out uh, to find ways in which you could reduce uh, uh, harm and help that loved one take steps in the right direction um, and and recognize that it may not be a leap in the right direction. They may not go uh, from using to not using at all overnight, um, but 
maybe you can connect with uh, providers and certainly we've got them here in in our health system uh, and there are a number of others in this state um, who can uh, help make sure that they've got Narcan uh, by their uh, uh, by their side if what they're using is opioids and you just want to make sure that even if they use they don't overdose and go through mm-hmm. the kind of things that that you know as we discussed earlier Demi Lovato found herself going through um, uh, and um, and then in due time hopefully they get connected to medications medications like buprenorphine which I described earlier and are extraordinarily effective and then you know the way um, uh, I think of those medications is they will hopefully help keep your loved one alive um, long enough and moving in the right direction long enough for them to work through uh, the very hard and tough work that's needed to um, uh, to achieve uh, recovery. Um, and those often require connecting to the kind of psychosocial supports that uh, um, that our department and our hospital and our, our network offer that so many others across the state offer. Um, but, uh, but I think it all starts with taking a deep breath, realizing that um, uh, your loved one is a good person who find them, who's finding themselves in uh, between a rock and a hard place um, and in uh, the depths of a really difficult disease, uh, but a disease for which there are medications and there is treatment, um, and when they're ready, uh, there are ways in which we can get them connected to it. Um, yeah, my, my heart just goes out to those who are, are navigating it. It is far easier said than, than done, but I'm just grateful for those who, who do this for their friends, their families, their neighbors, uh, day in and day out. Um, and they can rest assured that um, it, uh, it makes a world of difference. Thank you so much for being here, Dr. Shaw. Yeah, no problem. Thank you, for, thank you for having me, Kylie. If you have a topic you'd like for us to cover, submit your ideas on hmh4u.org backslash podcast. Your suggestion could be included in the You Asked For It special episodes. The material provided through this Help You podcast is intended to be used as general information only and should not replace the advice of your physician. Always consult your physician for individual care.